And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. A few years ago, Marla Rosher Osborne discovered her Jewish roots in the western Ukrainian city of Rohatin. She and her husband have since left their home in California and settled in Lviv in western Ukraine, where they run an NGO called Rohatin Jewish Heritage. This NGO, non-government organization, is dedicated to restoring Rohatin's centuries-old Jewish heritage, which was almost completely obliterated by the Nazis during the Holocaust. It's a daunting project. Avrohatin's Jewish community, which numbered in the tens of thousands before World War II, only a few remain today. Remnants of synagogues, cemeteries, and other visible symbols of this once thriving and vibrant community lie scattered across the area, buried in asphalt and concrete foundations, in forests and fields. Marla has dedicated her life to finding and restoring as many of these remnants as she can. Recently, she kindly agreed to share her story with Nasholus listeners. So, how did you end up starting this whole Rohatin <laughs> adventure? Like, what you and your husband do this, and this is kind of your life's work now. How did you get yeah. started? What brought you to Rohatin? It's a good question. Um, I tell. I like to say I was an accidental <laughs> activist because I didn't go looking for it. It it grabbed me. Um, my Rohatin grandmother, um, my father's mother, was a very influential person in my life, and she passed away about 15 years ago. And in 2008, while living in Paris, my husband said, you know what, for our anniversary, let's make a trip to Rohatin. In fact, let's make our first trip to Ukraine. And we went. We went to Lviv. We rented a car. We drove in winter. It was February to Rohatin. We had no translator with us, no maps, uh, no information where the Jewish sites were, where my grandmother had lived before she left with her parents and sister in 1914. And two hours later, I couldn't wait to leave. And by the time we got back to Paris, I thought, I've had it. I've made that heritage trip. I never want to go back. But over the next couple of years, the more I thought about it and uh, the more involved I got with a Rohatin Jewish descendants group that was formed on the Internet, the more I realized the problem was not Rohatin. The problem was me, that I hadn't gone prepared. So in 2011, we went back. We brought an interpreter with us. And from that very first visit in 2011, we were introduced to Mikhail Vorobets, and he took us to the sites, and he showed us the Jewish headstones that he had been accumulating, and from there on out, uh, there was no return. So That was it. Wow. <laughs> wow. Us. You were hooked. So, but, yeah. but why, like, your husband suggested it, what, why? Why Rohatin? Uh, well, it's a couple reasons. Both of us uh, are have always been sort of the family historians uh, in our particular families. And it's worth pointing out, my husband is not Jewish. Um, but I tell people he's the most Jewish, non-Jewish person you would meet. <laughs> uh, he is absolutely involved with this project 100%. Um, but I was always very intrigued with my grandmother's family. And I've thought about this a lot because... Um, 
the family had quite a few, not quite a few, but there were two aunts of my grandmother who had uh, advanced degrees in the interwar period when Rohatin was Polish. And I thought, always found them very fascinating. They didn't have any children. They survived the Shoah, the Holocaust, because mm-hmm. they left Rohatin uh, in the 1930s when there started when there were restrictions starting to be imposed on Jews in certain professions like doctors and teachers, etc. And I always was very intrigued by this side of my family. And in some ways, it was in part because there was so little I knew about that side of the family. And in a way, I think it's symbolic of what Jewish heritage is like in Western Ukraine, because it, it is very much about empty spaces and looking for the traces of either family or heritage that may still exist. And uh, for that reason, despite the fact on my mother's side of the family, which is also from this area, but further east and outside of uh, Galicia, I knew a lot about her family, but I was less interested in that. I was far more interested in the side of the Galician side of the family, which was Western Ukraine based And to find out, you know, it was a challenge for me to find out what could I discover about the family, what remained of the town, what memories still existed with the townspeople of the Jewish population that had lived there at one time. Wow. It's so interesting that you say that it is representative of the Jewish community in Ukraine. Give us the history of Rohatin's Jewish community. Well, we're actually working on a timeline right now for the new museum that's going to be opening in Rohatin, which is a regional museum. And there's going to be a a component of the permanent exhibit on the other ethnicities that lived in Rohatin. So Poles, Jews, Germans, etc. And uh, actually, Jews were granted the rights to granted rights to live in Rohatin and have professions Uh, around the middle of the 17th century, and uh, sometime shortly thereafter, they acquired uh, property to build synagogues, a Jewish cemetery, etc. So very much, very typical of Western Ukraine and Galician Western Ukraine, Jews had been present in Rohatin for at least 350 years. Um, And it really was only, you're talking, as you mentioned, a very short period of time that managed to destroy not only the the people, the physical lives, but the the culture as well. So we're really trying to spend a lot of time on the, the 350 years that led up to the Holocaust that Jewish people lived in Rohatin and shared Rohatin as a home with Ukrainians, Poles, Germans, etc. That's that's interesting, um, and it's a kind of a refreshing approach to to dealing with this because you know the years the Holocaust is horrible. People have to know about it. It's it's important that people know about it, but there is so much more. I mean, yeah. that's that's such a negative, sad, tragic. Um, thing is we have to we can't ever forget it but i think it's important then to start rebuilding and i think maybe that's where we're at now in in our society is is let's start to rebuild and understand the history and uh as amateur historian that's a subject that's close to my heart and there was so much you say it goes back to 350 years and a lot has happened a lot happened in that 350 years how much do you think can be restored 
Well, I it's it's that that's a very good question. <laughs> I I for one uh, like you am interested in bridge building. I'm interested in learning about the Ukrainian story of Rohatin, which is a huge hole in my understanding. Um, I think that, unfortunately, the years of the Holocaust, of course, have come to define for many um, Jews in America, Israel, Australia, etc., the entire experience. But it's very important to recognize that families had a continuous presence in these towns for hundreds of years and multiple generations. And at least in the case of my family, which I think is quite representative of middle-class Jewish Galician families that had been stable for a long time, they saw historical events making daily life difficult, but they did not pick up and leave. They saw that they had families, they had businesses, they had relationships with townspeople. And I know from letters and uh, memoirs and interviews I've done with survivors that the feeling was, okay, we've gone through hard times before and we will weather through this and we'll come out the other end. So my, I, I think it's far more interesting to focus on the fact that Rohatin was home to these different ethnic groups, Jewish being one-third of the, of the population of Rohatin for a very long time, uh, and to understand what it was about the, the town, the village, and then ultimately the city that, that prompted them to stay and call it home. That is interesting, and it's very neat to think of that as a, a community Sticking it out, this is home. I mean, we here in Canada, <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same thing. Um, and here in uh, mid 20th century, all of a sudden you have people that come in and completely slaughter a third of this city's inhabitants. And this is actually something I think that a lot of people aren't aware of is this is how most of the Holocaust happened. This is this is the killing fields that yes. you know everybody knows about Auschwitz and, and the death camps and and um that kind of seems to um symbolize what the Holocaust yes. was about. But there were so many people that didn't get on those trains that were murdered yes. wholesale. And um, so this is really something that uh, I think the work that you're doing is starting to open eyes and make people aware the scope is much broader than what anyone actually recognized. And Yeah, and, and yeah. you bring up a very good point, which is it's, it's you know, generally... Uh, and I can only speak in as, an, as an American Jew, especially a West Coast American Jew, and that and that is, there was a sense that the Holocaust is about Auschwitz, mm -hmm. and you know it's it's a, a very complex topic that continues to evolve. Even in the last few years, our understanding of the extent and um, efficiency of the Holocaust continues to be revised. This is the land of the Holocaust by bullets. Um, the vast majority of Rohatin's Jews, like the vast majority of Jews in Western Ukraine and Galicia, ended up in mass graves, not deported to death camps. And the these graves and the physical culture that they left behind in the terms of cemeteries, synagogues, 
schools, even sports centers, you know, they continue to exist even if the people are not still there. And the fact is, for the last 75 years, those living in the towns, the Ukrainians living in the towns that were once populated by Jews, Poles, and others, are the ones who, on a day-to-day basis, are living with the physical reminders Mm -hmm. of the abrupt and horrible ending of those cultures in the Holocaust. And in many cases, they're the ones who have been caring for these sites. That's certainly true in Rohatin. That's I find that interesting because um, that was a huge, um, just um, uh, the the destruction that the Nazis did was so sudden and so devastating. But it didn't end with them because um, that part of so Ukraine, it's... right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that part of Ukraine was given over. You know, the the uh, the, the Yalta Agreement, right? Yeah. And yeah. so you know, there's an, another complete another story of Ukrainian patriot repatriation repatriation but uh, for the people that stayed the whole thing kind of carried on it didn't the Soviets weren't interested in rebuilding let's put it that way no and in many cases in fact the Soviets continued the the destruction of the cultural heritage Mm -hmm. that existed Uh, it's not so much the case in Rohatin but there are certainly villages and towns all around Rohatin where even if a cemetery or synagogue did manage to survive the, the Nazi destruction, the Soviets came in and destroyed it, or they finished off the destruction that started. So it's, yeah, I agree. It's for Ukrainians, it ended up being sort of a double, uh, a double occupation that, that absolutely from a Jewish perspective close the window on uh, a Jewish presence and a Jewish memory and froze even in the educational system um, the discussion of those that lived in towns prior to the Soviet and Nazi occupation. But the villagers kind of in secret seem to, well, I don't know maybe if this was pre-1991 pre when um, the Soviet Union collapsed and Ukraine became a sovereign nation. Um, was that was at that point that the villagers started to uh, dig in and start to um, preserve what uh, the, you know what little was left of the their Jewish heritage in the in the village, or was it before that during the Soviet times in secret? It, you, um, you know, it's very hard for me to say because my the sort of the, the key date of the first post-war Jews to go back and visit Rohatin was 1998, oh. when a handful of survivors from Israel with their children, grandchildren, etc., Israel and America, went back to Rohatin working with the city of Rohatin to put up a few monuments and memorials at the two Jewish cemeteries and the two mass grave sites, remembering the Jewish community. So who's initiated? Uh, but, Sorry, whose Sorry? In, whose initiative was that? Then was that the this was the city already doing it, or was it this group that uh, no, the city own, has owned? I don't know how long they have, but the city has owned the properties that had previously been the Jewish cemeteries and mass grave sites, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, probably since independence. I'm assuming, and on the initiative of descendants in Israel and America, they were in contact with the city about memorializing these spaces there there were two uh, um 
Soviet memorials, Soviet-era memorials that were put up at the mass grave sites. But as is typical with Soviet memorials, they said nothing about the victims in the graves as being Jewish. They just said victims of fascism. And mm. uh, but it was but it, but no, surely the Rohatiners in the town remembered many of them remembered because you still had elderly people that were alive then that aren't alive today mm-hmm. and those that lived in Rohatin were certainly aware that the sites had been Jewish cemeteries or mass grave sites because I can tell you for instance with the mass grave at the south end of site the villagers on their own initiative have not uh, plowed and it's in a very rural part of the town and they have um self-regulated dealing with that property, for lack of a better word. So it has stayed sort of wild because they all know what it was during the war and out of respect, they don't touch it. So the memory was still there, but nothing had actually been um, professionally or officially, maybe that's the better word, officially um, tagged, marked. Acknowledged, uh, yeah. Memorialized, yeah. Right, and at this point, but but again, the memory was still there among people in town, and it was certainly the case with the city of Rohatin as well. You're listening to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. We're speaking with Marla Rosher Osborne, founder of the Rohatin Jewish Restoration Project, Rohatin Jewish Heritage. In the second part of this interview, Marla will tell us about a retired teacher in his 80s who continues to share his knowledge of Rohatin's Jewish past and about the role he plays in her organization. Marla will also share details of various facets of her Rohatin restoration project, in particular locating headstones from Jewish cemeteries that had been desecrated and vandalized by the Nazis and Soviet authorities and lie hidden in pieces throughout the area. Join us two weeks from now for part two of our interview with Marla Rosher Osborne. Until then, Shalom. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage are available at their website, ukrainianjewishencounter.org, as well as at the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.